Wasn't that a beautiful song that Taylor gave this morning? Fantastic song. Did you ever stop to think you're a work of art? I'm a work of art in God's sight. And He's working on us to make us beautiful, to make us holy, to make us more like Christ. He does that from the moment we get saved until the moment we get home to heaven. He's working on us. And we often say, I don't understand what you're doing, Lord. But in the future, when we get to heaven, if we don't know now, we will know in the future what God is up to, what he's trying to do, what he wants to do in our lives. Before we go on further today, we need prayer. I need prayer, definitely. Because as you know, I had a little bit of notice before the message, but not a lot. So <laughs> let's pray, shall we? Father, we just thank you that you're the sovereign God, that you have all things under control in our lives, that you know what's best for us. You know what to allow in our lives and how much we can handle. And we thank you that your grace is sufficient for us, Lord. And we thank you that you've brought us to this point in time. And we pray that you will have a message for every one of our hearts today that will challenge us, that will encourage us, that will comfort us, that will build us up, Lord. And we pray for anyone who's not saved that today may be the day that they get saved. And so we just pray that you will hide me behind the cross, Lord. Fill my mouth, Lord, with your words. It's not of me at all. It's of you, Lord. And so we pray in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. For those who were not here on Friday night when we saw the movie on Ruth, you missed a blessing. I mean, I got a chance to see this movie twice this week and I was touched and I was praying that we would see it the second time. Ginny knows I was telling her I was really praying that we would see that movie on Friday and we saw it. I went home. I read the whole book of Ruth. I was so blessed. But did you notice what what Boaz did? He did something that many of us as Christians do in our lives. As soon as he saw his wife had a problem that she might be sick or something, he, he got upset and he went outside. Naomi says, go outside and pray. Well, she doesn't say what to pray about, that she's sick or what her need is or anything. Just go out and pray. So as a husband, he loves his wife. He's thinking some, the worst. He thinks the worst. We always think the worst is going to happen. And so he goes out and he says to the Lord, he says, Lord, I've honored you my whole life. I waited my whole life for this girl. She's the one, Lord. You put us together. You're going to take her from me now. And then they called him in and she said, I'm with child. I'm with child. Not only am I not sick, not only am I well, but we're going to have a baby. And look at the miracle of that and how that little baby Obed was born, became the the grandfather of David. And it was unbelievable and how they tied it together in the story. The grandfather Obed explaining the whole story to his grandson David, and it was just fantastic movie. You could see it again because it has so much meaning to it. Because in our lives we can't understand it. Do you think Boaz ever for the, mo- for the in his wildest dreams would have thought he would have married a Gentile maiden from Moab? No way. Would she have in her wildest dreams ever thought she would be in the nation of Israel among God's people and would marry a man like Boaz? No way. But God moves in strange ways. He moves in mysterious ways in our lives. Things that we don't always understand or comprehend. He knows what he's doing. We don't always know. 
And I'm thankful for that because if God ever told us in advance some of the things that were happening, going to happen to us, we wouldn't want to face them. We'd want to hide. We'd want to run away. But God has a plan. He has a greater plan for the greater good in our lives. And he knows just exactly what to bring in our lives at just the right time. And so that he can use us as instruments for him. Fill us with the Holy Spirit and, and that we can go out and touch people's lives. It reminds me of a man in the New Testament. The last person that you may have thought to get saved. A blasphemer. A murderer of Christians. One who did everything in his power to defeat the cause of Christ and defeat the church. And his name was Saul of Tarsus. One day he was on his horse. He was riding through. Going to... With a letter from the high priest, he was going to persecute the Christians and he was on the road to Damascus and all of a sudden a great light shone from heaven and he fell down from his horse and he heard a voice and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And that day changed the course of Christianity. It changed the course of history from that moment on because God saved Saul, who became Paul. God changed his name. He wrote 13 books in the New Testament that we still are blessed by today, all because of this one man who was saved on the road to Damascus. We don't know the effect that we can have as an individual believer on people around us. Even if we don't speak to people directly, sometimes they can hear us talk or hear us pray or hear us do things and they can be blessed by it. We've all been in restaurants. We've all been in different places in life where you hear the name of Jesus mentioned and it just makes you perk up because you say they're, they're talking about my Savior. And that's the way it was with Paul. Ever since the day he got saved in Acts chapter 9, his life was turned upside down. It was revolutionized. It was transformed. He was a new person. And it's amazing to me what the Lord said to Paul, what he mentioned to him and what he mentioned to uh, the man who was talking to Paul in the ninth chapter, which is Ananias. And he says to him this. He says, go... For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Can you imagine getting saved and you're so excited and you're born again and you're just you're floating in the clouds, so happy. And all of a sudden these words come, show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. All Paul's Christian life, his whole Christian experience was a life of suffering. It was a life of pain, deprivation. He went through beatings. He went through mockings. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He went through all these things. There's not one of us as Christians who can ever say we went through anything like the Apostle Paul. And I really believe, even including the Old Testament prophets who suffered a lot, Paul suffered more. He suffered more and he did it joyfully. He did it willingly because he says, Christ loved me so much. He died for me. He saved a murderer like me. He was so thankful that all the rest of his life, he lived it for the glory of God. 
And that's why when one day came for him to go to Jerusalem, the saints in Ephesus were very sad because they didn't want to see him leave. And Agabus, the prophet, stood up one day and he says, he took Paul's belt and he held this belt and he says, the one who has, owns this belt is going to be bound and he's going to be, he's going to be killed and he's going to go through all this suffering. And still, Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem. It's God's will for me to go to Jerusalem. I'm willing not only to be bound in Jerusalem, but I'm willing to die for the Savior in Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem. But his end wasn't there. God wasn't finished with him yet. He was arrested. He was put into prison. He was condemned. But God wasn't finished with the story yet. Paul, you have to go to Rome. You have to go to Rome. And there's a verse, if you'll turn in your Bibles to, to Acts chapter... Let me give you the reference here. We're going to be in the 27th chapter in just a moment, but I want to read a verse from earlier on. On the promise that was given. Acts chapter 23 and verse 11. Acts chapter 23 and verse 11. We all know the story. Paul was in jail. His nephew heard that they were plotting to kill Paul, that some had taken a vow to kill him. And so he told the nephew to go talk to the commander. Commander talked to him. And so he says, he had already appealed. He says, I appeal to go to Rome. And then we see the wonderful story how God got him to Rome. But in verse 23, chapter 23, verse 11, it says, But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness in Rome. Now, keep this verse in mind. God promised that as he witnessed for him in Jerusalem, he was also going to witness for him in Rome. That's a promise. Paul, you're going to make it to Rome. You're going to Rome. I have a purpose for you to do in Rome. It's amazing. So many times when we wake up in the morning, we don't know what is on the horizon of that day, do we? We don't know what we're going to face that day. We're not, going to, we're not sure of what's going to happen to us. And so too, Paul didn't know what was going to happen to him in Rome. But the Lord gives him the the wonderful encouragement, be of good cheer, Paul. Be of good cheer. You know, and we may be sitting here this morning and your mind is thinking about what's going to happen to you at work tomorrow. Maybe the boss says, I want to see you Monday morning, first thing. And you start working over in your mind, did I do something wrong? What does he want to see me about? And so forth. Or things come up with the family and you know somebody is gravely ill in your family and they could die at any moment and you're just dreading for that telephone to ring because you know that they're going to say that that person passed away. Sometimes we don't want to face these things. We don't want to face them and deal with them. But God says to Paul, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I have everything under control. The title of our message this morning is, He has everything under His control. One of our favorite verses from Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, and we know 
All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We can be thankful that things don't happen to us randomly. They don't happen by chance or by fate. God has a plan. God has a purpose. He's working it out. We don't understand it, like I said, but he is working it out. So you say, okay, Paul is going to get to Rome, right? He's going to go there. And they decided to take all the prisoners to Rome in a ship. And they're going to make the trip to Rome. The Lord had revealed to Paul that this this trip was not going to be a safe voyage. In fact, it was going to be a voyage that was going to end in disaster. And in the 27th chapter of Acts, the Apostle Paul mentions this in verse 9 when he says, When much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than the thing spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. Did they listen to Paul? No. They listened to the majority. They listened to the owner of the ship. They listened to the helmsman. In other words, the captain of the ship. The captain says, I know these waters will be totally fine. The owner said, we've got to get to Rome. We're on a tight schedule. We can't stop here. The majority says, yeah, we want to get there on time. We need to, to be there. And so they all spoke up. All of them said, let's go. Let's do it. Let's take the voyage. Let's take the cruise. Had they known what is going to happen later in this chapter, every single one of them would have agreed with Paul and they'd say, you're right. Because God knows what's going to happen in the voyage of your life. He knows what's going to happen in the voyage of our lives. And he is directing his plans and purposes. Yes, it was an ill-advised voyage. They shouldn't have left that port because of the great storm that's going to happen. But even so, God took that and used it in Paul's life, in all the people on the ship, and then later, of course, the people in Rome. Let's read some verses from this chapter. Acts chapter 27 and verse 13. Acts chapter 27 and verse 13. This is a story of a man who was shipwrecked and with him, People on the ship, 276 aboard that ship altogether. And it says, when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. They thought everything was calm and smooth. See, we didn't, we should. See, Paul, you're wrong. You're totally wrong. It's a soft wind. It's blowing gently. We're going to make a nice trip. Who is this religious zealot that said we are going to have disaster? No way. Look at that verse 13. It started off so smooth. But then look in verse 14. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroculean. So when the ship was caught, they could not head into the wind. We let it her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Claudia, we secured the skiff with difficulty. 
When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck all sail and so were driven. And because they were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. Not getting too easy now, is it? Maybe we should have listened to Paul after all. Maybe things are getting pretty bad here. Let's continue on. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. I could have told you so, as we sometimes say. Men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you, take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. We'll stop there for the moment. An amazing story. An amazing story of a voyage that should have never been Done. A ship that should have never sailed. It should have stayed in Crete. Disaster was coming. Loss was coming. But in the midst of that, it says they had lost all hope. You know, you can lose anything in life. You can lose your home. You can lose your job. You can lose your car. You can lose your health. You can lose your family. You can lose anything in life. And you can get through it by God's grace. But if you lose hope, You've lost it all. Look at the people of Japan and what they've been going through for the last few weeks here on this tremendous earthquake and tsunami. And just when they think they're starting to get somewhat back to normal, another aftershock happened and a big aftershock. We say, why, Lord? We don't understand why these things are happening to us in our life. But God does. Why, Lord, would you allow Paul to be to be shipwrecked like this, to go through this devastating circumstance, why couldn't he have gotten on a smooth ship that would have gotten him to Rome? Because God knows better than we do. He knows better. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Why he allows what he does, we don't know. But we trust him. We can trust him. If we love the Lord so much, we need to love Him not only in times of adversity, but in times of prosperity. We need to say, thank you, Lord, for every circumstance that happens in our lives. Whether it's a shipwreck or an auto crash or someone getting sick and having to go to the hospital, all things work together for good. All things to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. But Lord, this is hard. A shipwreck in the middle of the sea. This huge storm that was unparalleled in these days. They all thought they were going to die. In fact, for three days, they did not even see the sun or the moon. It was that dark. Can you imagine? And now the captain is saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Throw all the ship's tackle overboard. Throw all the food. Throw all of it away. Lighten the ship. It's our only chance. 
They tried to think of every solution that they could come up with. They came up with nothing. They got so discouraged, so depressed, so down that they wouldn't even eat. Have you ever got that sad in your life? That that most miserable where you just don't want to eat? Sure, we get sick sometimes. We have a fever we don't eat. But sometimes you can be physically ill just by being so sorrowful or so depressed. People have depression nowadays and it affects what they eat and how they live their life. And here Paul is going through this and then the Lord nudges him. He says, Paul, I got a word for you. I got a word for you, Paul. The angel comes to him and says, you're going to make it. You're going to survive. And every person on that ship is going to survive and you're going to make it to Rome. The only thing that's going to be lost is the ship. But your lives are going to be spared. And Paul said, praise be to God, because I remember the promise you gave in the 23rd chapter in the 11th verse that we read that you must go to Rome. Remember the disciples when they were on the Sea of Galilee and the Lord had promised we're going to cross over to the other side. Did he let them sink? Did he let them die in the middle of Galilee? No. Did he let Paul and and his companions and all these people on the ship die before getting to Rome? No. And the same thing is true of us as Christians. He's going to get us to the promised land. He's going to get us to heaven. He's going to see us through. But we may go through some shipwrecks. We may go through some storms. We may go through some terrible things happen to us. But God has a plan to use even those things that we think are so bad for His glory. And notice how Paul says to these people here. He says to them, I urge you to take heart For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong and to whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul, for you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe in God that it will happen just as it was told me. A journey, a voyage, They should not have started, but God is in it. God is in it. And He can even turn circumstances around and bring forth His glory from it. And that's what He's doing here. And I'm kind of wondering that once He mentioned that God is involved and once that He mentioned they're going to be saved, I wonder how many men came to Him and said, what must I do to be saved? It doesn't say it here, but I'm using my sanctified imagination. If they thought that they, at one point, they thought they were going to die. And they probably were so scared and so worried. And think how much relief they felt. How much joy they felt that we're going to make it. We're going to survive. There's not going to be one loss. And they started to believe. And I believe that if, even if they didn't get saved, they were affected by that cruise like never before. If that voyage had been smooth and those 276 people had arrived safely, it would have been fine, but they would have missed what God had to tell them. Sometimes God has to bring storms. He has to bring shipwrecks to a person to get their attention, to get them saved, to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Sometimes He has to shake the world like He shook it in this earthquake. I was watching it on TV and it came on the news and it said this tremendous earthquake happened. And they, up, they kept upgrading it till it finally got to a 9.0 earthquake, one of the highest it's ever been faced in the world. God knows what He's doing. He knows what to bring into your life and into my life. He knows our breaking point. He knows what we need to hear. 
And so it was so fantastic that as Paul told them, they were going to be saved. But they had to do one thing in verse 31. Look at verse 31. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. The very first thing that they're going to want to think to do is jump over the ship and swim to shore. He says, don't do it. Don't do it right now. Stay in the ship. Stay in the ship. Remember Naomi, when the, when the famine came to the land of Israel, she and her husband, Elimelech, and their two sons, they jumped ship. That's what they did. They jumped ship. They left the place of the promised land. They left God's presence. They left God's will. They jumped off the ship and went down to Moab. Elimelech died. God allowed it. Malon died. Shilion died. God got Naomi's attention because she had jumped off that ship. She had to get back in the will of God. And so, too, we have to stay in the ship, stay in God's will. Sometimes we want to jump off that ship and take the first job that comes along. Or we want to jump off that ship and marry the first person that comes along. Or we want to do this our way instead of waiting for God's way. Paul waited for God's way and he saw it through God's perspective. And every one of those man, men and people on that ship were saved. He tells them to take nourishment. And he, gives, he says, let's have some food. They had a little bit of food left. He prayed and gave thanks for the food and gave it to the people. Just think, just a few Minutes before, just a few hours before, they'd lost all hope. They never thought they'd have another meal, let alone have life after this. And they were so thankful. And Paul's having a prayer meeting with them, giving thanks for the food. And it says in verse 36, And they were all encouraged, and they also took food for themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat. Into the sea. But the story wasn't over yet. Because now there's prisoners on this ship. And they've got to get those prisoners safely to the shore. And the, and the soldiers wanted to kill Paul and all the prisoners. Because we might, they might escape. And so they were about to do it. And then the soldiers' plan was thwarted. Because it says in verse 42. And the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners. Lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion wanting to save Paul, by coincidence? No, God's going to save Paul. He's going to use the centurion to save Paul. And so it says, but the centurion wanting to save Paul kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all, all, all escaped safely. Land. All escaped. When God makes a promise that He's going to give you something, that He's going to do something for you, you can take it to the bank. You can know it's going to happen. And He made that commitment to Paul you are going to see Rome. You're going there, Paul. No storm is going to stop you. No shipwreck is going to stop you. It's my will for you to get to Rome. And later on in the 28th chapter, we see what happens there in the, in the little place of Malta. The natives meet them and greet them and they're so happy to see them. And it's raining and it's cold and they shelter them and they give them food and everything is fine. And then all of a sudden, 
They're by, they made a fire and Paul is there by the fire and this viper comes out of the, out of the fire and latches hold of his, his arm and all the people there, they're very superstitious and religious in their own way people. And they said, oh, look at this. The gods have brought about his demise because he was not killed in the sea, but now he's going to be killed by this, this viper, this snake. And they looked at Paul and they were waiting for him to start swelling up and waiting for him to start falling to the ground and waiting for him to breathe his last. And pretty soon, he didn't do that. He's perfectly fine. He's breathing fine. He's healthy. He must be a god. And they started to then think he's a god. And they were so happy that this happened. And then Paul heals the people on that island. There was a man there who had the island. His name was Publius. And his father, Publius' father, had a fever and dysentery. And Paul went and prayed and laid hands on him and healed him. And I would like to think that all of this was possible because God had promised him, you're going to go to Rome. And while you go to Rome, I'm going to touch people's lives through you. I'm going to use you, Paul. Isn't that unbelievable? He used him on the ship. He used him on the island of Malta. And later on, when he's in prison in Rome, he used him there. And it says he won those converts in Rome who were the ones who were chained to him. The guards that were chained to him, they were called the Praetorian Guard. He even won them to Christ. All because one man got saved on the road to Damascus. One man was willing to commit his whole life to Christ. One man was willing to do God's will no matter the cost, no matter the obstacles. No matter what, one man and one man was used in a powerful way. You can be that one man. You can be that one woman. I can be the one man. I can be the one woman. Because what we go through in our lives, we can share with other people who are going through similar things. We can be a blessing to them. We can bring encouragement. And Paul could later on reflect to people on what he went through here in the 27th chapter of Acts. I can imagine when he met people in Rome and he was sharing with them and he'd say he'd win them to Christ and he'd say, you know, my brother, he says, there's no way I should be here today talking to you. There's no way I was in a shipwreck where we lost all hope and we were about to sink and be drowned in the sea. We shouldn't be. I shouldn't even be here. And that man probably turned to him and said, Paul, I'm so glad you're here. You told me about Jesus. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you work with me. I'm so glad you're in my neighborhood. I'm so glad you're my friend. And we can be a blessing to people. I have this man at work at Gateway. His name is Mark Steider. Pray for him. He needs the Lord as his Savior. But he said, Dean, he calls me every once in a while and tells me what's going on. They don't have any work at work. It's slow. They're worried about losing their jobs. But he he calls me. He says, Dean, he said to me last night, he says, Dean, I don't know how you can be this strong. I don't see how you can have this joy. How can you do it? You've been out of work. And he said, you're so at calm. You're so peaceful. I said, Mark, it's not me. It's the Lord that has given me this peace. And it's a tremendous peace. And so even in the midst of that storm in the 27th chapter, God gave Paul peace in the midst of the storm. Because the angel stood by him and said, Paul, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. And he's saying that to you today. Maybe you're a little discouraged. Maybe you're a little down. Something's happening to you. He's going to say to you today, Hey, Kenan, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. 
Hey, Lewis, you're going to make it. Hey, Vicky, you're going to make it. And you know, he knows about our makeup. He knows what we're made of. It says in the 103rd Psalm, he says he knows our frame. He knows that we're but dust. He knows we're finite. He knows we're sinful creatures. But he loves us. And he says, you're going to make it safely to that shore. And in the middle of this journey, you're going to have some shipwrecks. You're going to have some storms. You're going to have some trials. But be of good cheer because I'm going to use you more through the shipwreck than even through anything else. And imagine Paul saving. He actually, I mean, they were saved, physically saved, 276 persons. And I love that. The Lord is so specific. Not 275, not 280, not 270, but he says it right here, 276 persons. He made it specific. Just like when the disciples went out fishing in the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection and the Lord says, take your net and cast it over on this side of the ship and you'll get a catch. And it says they caught fish. How many? 153. God is a God of numbers, like Sylvia is going to tell you in the book of Revelation study. He's a God of numbers and, and he's very specific what he does in our lives. He doesn't allow anything that's not going to be good for us, right for us, for our growth and for our for His glory. So may the Lord encourage us today to realize He has everything under control. We can walk out that door and even if, God forbid, something happened to us and you're saved and you walk out that door and you get hit by a bus or a car and you die, where are you going to be? In glory. The voyage will be over. But, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a lot to be fearful of. Earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes. They just told on the radio last night there was a tornado back in the Middle West that took the whole town down. Homes are destroyed. People's lives. God is knocking on the the heart's door of the earth right now. Of Every person on earth. He's knocking, knock, knock, knock. He's knocking harder. He's allowing more things to happen more quickly. We need to be saved today. Those 276 persons were saved. They stayed on the ship. If you come to Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. If you go out and try to do it your way, oh, I can make it. I'm a good person. I'm religious. I I do good things. I've never hurt anybody in my life. No, it doesn't work that way. It's by grace we're saved through faith. And not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should, should boast. All they had to do to be saved was to stay in the ship. Was that too hard a thing to do, Jessica? For them to stay in the ship and then we'll be saved? Is it a hard thing to come to Jesus and say, Lord, here's my sin. I give it to you. You died for me on that sin. I lay it down before you. I ask you to forgive me. Please come into my life. Save me, Lord. Is that a hard thing to do? The devil says it's a hard thing to do. The world says, oh, you're too young to do that. The world says, you've got years ahead of you. Years ahead of you. Those 276 people thought they had years ahead of them too, didn't they? And they almost died. They almost died. In fact, they gave up all hope. But that day, all 276 were safe. They were saved. I pray that everyone here in this congregation today will be saved. Everyone will know the Lord so that you can have that confidence and assurance that He is your Lord and is your Savior. 
As we go to prayer today, let's thank the Lord for the life he's given us, that he has everything under control. We don't understand the whys and the wherefore. He does. He knows what he's doing. Father, we just thank you today for this message and we pray that you will help us on our voyage, on our journey through life, that whatever happens to us, Lord, help us not to do anything but trust you and and be thankful and allow you to have your way in our lives. So many times we say, why, Lord, did you allow this to happen to me? Why, Lord, did you take this person? Why did you take this thing away? And we just have to say, Lord, you know best. You are our Father who knows best. And we pray, Lord, please help us today to be thankful that you have all things under control, that you move in mysterious ways and use wonderful things in our lives and in the lives of others. We just thank you now and praise you. We pray for Hugo and his wife that they'll be okay, that nothing will have happened to them. And we pray that we'll see him back in the future, Lord. We pray now in your precious name. Amen.